Good morning. It is good to see all of you out this morning. We are glad that you are here with us. Our lesson for this morning, we are continuing our series on overcoming life's challenges. And today's lesson is overcoming the temptation of riches and wealth. And you may look around at us and say, well, you know, none of us are really rich in, in, in the sense that we would know in the world. And maybe we're not. But there are other ways that we can be tempted by riches and wealth. And that's what our, our sermon is based on. As we look at, at Scripture especially, we see that the, that the temptation of riches and wealth has led many astray. And some of the ones that we'll look at today, Ananias and Sapphira, the rich young ruler, Judas Iscariot, we see that, that this desire for riches, this desire for wealth, to some degree, led these astray. We read of, of Paul's warning, a very familiar warning in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It's not money that is the root of all evil, but the love of money, the desire for money, the desire for riches, the desire for wealth, that it is, that is a root of all kinds of e evil. The desire for riches and wealth is just as much a temptation for us today as it was in the recording of the New Testament when we read of, of these individuals that we're looking at today. And many today will sell their soul, if you will, for worldly gain. Jesus asked the question in Mark chapter 8 and verse 36, for what Will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Though the temptation for riches and wealth may be strong, we as Christians are to overcome it. But how? And the answer to that question is, is what we will ponder as we go forward in our lesson. Let's look at some of those who were overcome. Those who were overcome by this temptation for riches and wealth. We begin back where we started in our scripture reading in Matthew chapter 19. And beginning with verse 16. Matthew 19 and verses 16 through 22. And here we read of the rich young ruler. We don't know his name. But we know of, know of him as the rich young ruler. The one whose riches meant more to him than following Christ. Matthew 19, 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, 
That is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him in verse 18, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, and I can kind of picture and kind of hear him in the way that he said, said it. All these things I've kept from my youth, what do I, I still lack? I don't believe that he asked that question because he really wanted to know what he still lacked. He wanted to know that he didn't lack anything, that he was keeping the commandments. He wanted to know that he was doing well. Jesus said to him, though, in verse 21, If you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. I believe this young man to be seeking justification, and instead he found that his heart was not in the right place. And in verse 22, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. His riches meant more to him than following Christ. But he's not the only one that we read about that, that was led astray by riches. Ananias and Sapphira, another good example. The ones whose pride, as well as their greed, caused them to lie to God. Their sin was not lying to man, as Peter is going to point out, but, but they lied to God. Acts chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Acts 5 beginning with verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained... Was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. You see, whenever they sold this possession, we read of, of this a couple of different times before this. In, in Acts chapter 2, we read of it, and we also read of it toward the end of Acts chapter 4 that leads into chapter 5. We see that, that the people that were in Jerusalem, they were great in number. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow members of the church, they began to sell possessions and, and to try to take care of some of the needs of, of those who were among them. And, and Ananias and Sapphira, they did the same. They sold their possessions just like everybody else was doing. 
But the problem was that Ananias and Sapphira had, had made up this plan. You see, they weren't just going to sell their possessions, but they were going to keep back part of the proceeds for themselves and tell the disciples that they were giving the money to that this was all of it, and instead it was only a part of it. And they were going to keep some of it for themselves, but they would still look good in the eyes of others. The problem was, you can't lie to God. God knows all. He sees all. You can't lie to God. And so we read in verse 5, Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So a great fear came upon all those who heard these things, and the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. And in verse 7, now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. She hadn't seen or heard from her husband. She didn't know what had happened. But she came in telling the, the same story. In verse 8, and Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Keeping a portion of the money from their sold possessions, their land, was not sinful. However, keeping a portion of the money and saying that all had been given was a lie. They had lied to men, yes. They hadn't just tried to lie to men. What they didn't realize was that they were lying to God. It was their greed that kept them from giving all. And their pride kept them from telling the truth regarding the amount that was given. But we see that money, again, the love of money, was involved in their sin. Judas Iscariot is another that we find. He is the one who sold his soul. The one who sold his soul. In Mark 26, beginning with verse 14, Mark 26 Verses 14 through 25. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you, Jesus? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. 
Now on the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said in verse 18, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Verse 25, Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, You have said it. Judas sought to betray Jesus for just 30 pieces of silver. Greed, love of money, drove him in this sin. And as we look at these individuals, as we look at the rich young ruler, as we look at Ananias and Sapphira, and as we look at Judas Iscariot, what were the consequences of their sins? In the case of the rich young ruler, we read in Matthew 19, in verses 27 through 30, And Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you, therefore what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. The rich young ruler, if he did not repent, then the inheritance that is mentioned here in verse 29 will not be his. He will not inherit eternal life or the riches of heaven the reward of the saints that choose to follow Christ 
You see, if he was unwilling to part with his riches in this world, then he is unable to partake of the riches of eternity in heaven with God. You see, this reward is only for those who choose to faithfully serve God. Those who choose to faithfully serve God. As we read in the case of Ananias and Sapphira, physical death was the consequence, the result of their sin against God. Their disobedience was their downfall and it was an example for others. And we find in the case of Judas that rather than repent, he made the decision to take his own life over his guilt. Matthew 27, beginning with verse 3, Matthew 27 and beginning with verse 3. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful. Notice this, he was remorseful over his sin. He had sorrow over his sin. He realized that what he had done was wrong. He was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priests took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together, bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore that field has been called the field of blood to this day, to the day of this writing. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah, the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who was was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Judas, Judas had opportunity to repent. Did he not? He was remorseful over his sin. He realized that what he had done was wrong. He had the opportunity to repent. As Peter did for his denial. We see that a little later on, especially as we read in John chapter 21, that that Peter did repent. And he did recommit himself to the service of the Lord. And he was one of the most prominent leaders among the apostles as far as his teaching and and work was concerned. Judas could have repented. He could have made that choice. But instead, he killed himself. 
after all of his service as a chosen apostle of Christ. That's one of the, the key things that I remember from my studies about the, the apostles. They were chosen by Jesus. They weren't just picked at random, but they were chosen. And Judas was one of those that was chosen. He was a chosen apostle of Christ. And yet we find that he chose death over life in him. He had to know. He had to know what he was doing. If you think of all the time that he spent with Jesus, all, all that time that he, he heard the teachings and he saw the miracles and everything that he witnessed, everything that he experienced, as an apostle, he had to know. Just as the others had experienced all of these things, so did he. He had to know that he could repent. And why didn't he? I don't know. But we see that, that money, the love of money, led to his downfall. The deceitfulness of wealth. The deceitfulness of wealth. Let's look for a moment at where the sin actually lies. You see, the sin is not in the possession of riches. I, I'm not standing before you telling you that you cannot be rich in this life because that's sinful. That's not the sin. But let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and let's read together verses 6 through 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and beginning with verse 6. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The riches may lead us into temptation. Temptation itself is not sin or else Jesus would be guilty of sin because in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4 we read the specific temptations that Jesus was tempted with. Temptation is not sin. Riches may lead to temptation. They don't have to, but they can lead to temptation. But the temptation is not sin. And money is not the root of all evil. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. 
That's where the temptation is. And if we have that, that love and desire for money that, it, that Paul is speaking here in 1 Timothy, if we have that kind of love and desire, then, then that's what will lead us into sin. Though it may be improbable, it is not impossible for a rich man to enter into eternity. Going back to what we read in the rich young ruler, let's read verses 23 through 26 of Matthew 19. Matthew 19 and verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. If a rich man can't enter into eternity, how can any of us be saved? No one can be saved of themselves. Especially not the rich. You see, riches don't buy us eternity. We can't purchase eternity with money. Although there are religions that, that actually teach that you can buy someone into salvation. But see, as far as salvation is concerned, without God, this is impossible. But with God, salvation is provided for those who are obedient and faithful. It's impossible for me to do anything in and of myself to be saved. But with God, salvation is possible. Grace is a gift, as we read in Ephesians chapter 2, but it is only obtained through our faith and obedience. And Peter was asked that question. What was the answer? We use it in a lot of our lessons, don't we? Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we are obedient, that's when we find remission of sins. Through God's grace. But without obedience, our faith is not justified. Riches are deceitful. Riches are deceitful. In Matthew 13, in verses 22 and 23, Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, 
who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. As we look at the, the parable of the soils, just looking at, at these two, we see that, that some of the seed fell among the thorns and, and it was choked by what? By what was it choked? The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. And yet we also have seed that, that falls on good ground. The one who hears, the one who understands, the one who bears fruit and produces. We don't have to produce the same amount of fruit. If you look at, at fruit trees, I don't know a whole lot about gardening or anything like that. But if you look at fruit trees, sometimes you might see one that has a great number of fruit. If you look at the one on the playground at the school, you'll find that it doesn't have a lot. because, At least on the bottom because the kids try to pick all the apples off of it and... And they're not ready to eat, and so you end up throwing them over the fence. But you can see that, that some, some will produce different amounts of fruit. But the seed that fell among the thorns couldn't bear any fruit because it was choked by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Luke 12, verses 13 through 21, we read of the one we refer to as the rich fool. Luke 12, 13, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge and an arbitrator over you. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of of the things he possesses. Let's read that last one again. Verse 15. Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you, then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He prepared himself for retirement. He prepared himself for years of ease. Not having a care in the world. He had all this abundance of things that he had accumulated for himself. But he died. And you know, it's the reason that you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. You can't take your riches with you when you go. Another rich man in Luke 16, beginning with verse 19. 
Luke 16 and verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gates, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Again, we find yet another rich man who was prepared for life. He fared sumptuously every day, but he did not prepare himself for eternity. And we have Jesus' warning in Matthew chapter 6 that we are to store up treasures where they are most important. And where they will last the longest. Matthew six nineteen, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Which is your priority? Is your priority treasures of the earth? Is your priority found in a big house, fancy cars, diamond rings? That sounds like a song. Or is your priority found in the treasure in eternity. Oh, we can't see into eternity. We can't see what is ahead of us. But, but by faith, we believe that it is there. One doesn't have to be rich to be deceived by the riches of the world. You do not have to be rich to be deceived by the riches of the world. We only need to be attracted to riches. 
You see, it's the love of money. The love of money that is a root of all kinds of evil. If we have that desire for it, if that's what we long for, whether we have it or not, it doesn't matter. But if that's what we long for, then we're missing out on the treasure of eternity. We may work and work and work for more and more and more. And in the process, we may sacrifice our families and even true happiness in this world. We may miss out on on some of the best things that are found in serving God. But most importantly, we may neglect our spiritual salvation. Matthew 6 and verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Do not worry about these things. You see, in the grand scheme of things, They're worthless. God provides for us what we need. He always has. He always will. But we must put our trust in Him. And it begins with obedience to the gospel. And going even further beyond obedience and faith, repentance, confession, baptism for the remission of sins, it also continues in our faithfulness to God. We always put our trust in Him. It's your trust in Christ. You trust Him, your salvation, knowing that that when you've done what you need to do, that He will take care of the rest. Can you do that? Are you a child of God? Are you faithful? Do you have some kind of need, something that stands between you and your relationship with Christ, something that you need to take care of, something that we can help you with, we would be glad to assist you. Together we stand as we sing.